You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. So, so good to be with all of you today. Those of you watching with us online, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, why don't you turn with me to the New Testament? Um, we're going to land in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, those first four books there. Um, we call the Gospels because gospel means good news. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in particular are such good news because they tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so today we are in part seven of a series called Blessed where we've been taking a look at the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And each of these uh, principles that are found in the Beatitudes, they serve as, as keys that can unlock blessings and happiness in the life of the believer as they choose to further align their lives with the kingdom of God. And so if you have missed any of those messages, you can go back and listen um, to our podcast on Spotify, or you can find us on YouTube and watch um, those messages. I'd encourage you to do that. But today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, um, and we're going to read verse 9 together. So turn there, swipe there, Matthew 5, verse 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so that's where we are going to spend um, our time here this morning. Now, I, for those of you that may not know, I've got two kids. Um, and uh, anybody ever taken a road trip with two little kids before? Anybody? Um, you got two kids, that means road trips become interesting. Uh, I'll just leave it at that, yeah. Like, not only do you have to battle against traffic and road hazards and crazy drivers and the like, but, but traveling with two little kids is truly a test of one's mettle, you know? Coming from the back seat, it's, I'm hungry, or I'm thirsty, or are we there yet, or I need to potty, even though I just pottied five minutes ago, and will you change the radio, and he's on my side, and She's touching me, you know, it gets to the point where your family like, look, you stay on your side. You stop touching her. Everyone just shut up. I need five minutes of what? Peace and quiet. Like that's what we're looking for as parents, right? We just want five minutes of peace and quiet. And now they're teenagers and I can attest it hasn't gotten any better. And one of them is 6'2", 210, and so he's all folded up in the back seat. And you can imagine, like, two teenagers, a boy and a girl, you can imagine how great they get along, you know. And now we've thrown a dog into the mix. It wasn't crazy enough to begin with. And our dog can't decide if she wants to be in the back seat with the kids or in the front seat with Sarah or in the center console, like, laying on me. So she's all over the place, and it is the recipe for disaster. Often, the first thing that I have to do whenever we reach our destination is pray a prayer of repentance for all the things that I said or did (laughs) or thought while we were on that road trip, and I'm finding, my, I'm finding myself more and more just begging the Lord, can you just please just give me some peace? Just please give me some peace. Chances are you, you've had thoughts like that. You've prayed prayers like that before. 
Because the desire for peace is something that is universal. It's, it's something that we all desire in some capacity, be it marital peace or peace in the workplace, perhaps peace in our homes or within our families. Maybe it's political peace or racial peace, international peace. For some of us here this morning, it's simply just peace of mind. Usually when we think of peace, it's in reference to the absence of conflict. But the Bible's concept of peace is is really quite different. In the New Testament, we see the word peace often as uh, the word irene, which includes the idea of rest and means to come to an agreement around certain or specific terms. Many of you may recognize the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom, which means everything that makes for a person's highest good. In fact, in, uh, in Jewish uh, households, it's often a, a greeting, both as people leave and arrive. Biblical, uh, while the biblical concept of peace may begin with the absence of strife or conflict, it goes far beyond that to include the welfare and the benefit and the blessing of all parties involved. Biblical peace is this idea of reconciling both people to God and people to each other. It's what David was writing about in Psalm 119, 165, when he said, those who love your instruction have great peace and do not stumble. It's what the prophet Isaiah meant when uh, he wrote in chapter 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 27, when he said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. It's what the apostle Paul was writing about in Philippians chapter four, when he said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, the the peace that the Bible describes is very much the kind of peace you and I are searching for. But despite our quest for such peace, it seems to readily and consistently elude us. Instead of peace, we often find anxiety or tension or despair. Instead of peace, we we typically come across turmoil or depression or conflict. Instead of peace, we often stumble upon worry or fear or doubt, but rarely do we find peace. And, And when we experience such difficulty attaining this peace that we crave, we begin to get desperate. And I've seen people turn to a bottle in search of peace or to a pill or a needle in search of peace, or we'll we'll consult a physician or a psychiatrist or a nutritionist or a counselor. And even on occasion, we may get so desperate as to consult the pastor, (laughs) but rarely. We think that maybe a new relationship will bring us the peace that we desire, or perhaps a new job or career. Maybe if we relocate to a new city or we stop attending our current church and start attending a new one, or, or maybe if we gain a few friends and lose a few pounds, 
Maybe if, if we buy a new wardrobe or a new car or a new house and all of those things, then finally maybe we can experience a little bit of peace. I love what author and theology professor Haddon Robinson says. He says, no peace will exist between nations until peace reigns in each country. And no country will have peace until peace dwells with the people. And no people will have peace until they surrender to the prince of peace. And so here's where we begin on our quest for peace. The, the first thing that, that I, I believe that this passage, this verse that we're looking to um, here in the Beatitudes, I, I believe it points us to first seek out the recipe for peace the recipe for peace. And there's a foundational truth that we need to establish right here before we go any further. The foundational truth is simply this. I believe that, that we cannot experience the peace of God until we have first made peace with God. Okay, that's a foundational truth that we have to establish on the front end. It's what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 57, verses 20 and 21, where he says, but those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually turns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. It's uh, the thought behind Ezekiel 7, verse 25, terror and trembling will overcome my people. They will look for peace, but they will not find it. We cannot experience the peace of God until we have first made peace with God. And we cannot make peace with God until we have first come into right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate peacemaker. The scriptures reveal to us that Jesus is the master of peace. Isaiah 9 and 6 for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Not only is he the master of peace, but he's the messenger of peace. Luke chapter two, verses 12 through 14. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. He's the master of peace. He's the messenger of peace. He's also the minister of peace. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. He's the master of peace. He's the messenger of peace. He's the minister of peace. And he's also the mediator of peace. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul writes, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. See, the truth this morning is that Jesus is the only one that can cleanse our lives of the guilt and stain of sin so that we might become acceptable to a holy God. Jesus is the only one who can shield us from God's wrath and grant us the eternal life which none of us deserve. Jesus is the only one who is able to stand in the gap, acting as a bridge between us and God so that we can be reconciled to our heavenly father. Jesus is our prince of peace. He is the one who purchased our peace with his blood 
And because of the price he paid, you and I can now experience peace with God the Father through our faith in Jesus Christ. He's the master of peace, both by office and title. He's the messenger of peace by angelic proclamation. He is the minister of peace by pardoning our punishment. He's the mediator of peace by the cross of Calvary. And when you and I choose to surrender our lives to his lordship, then we can finally be at peace with God. We can have the promise that was given to Moses in Exodus 33, verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. We can have the promise of the psalmist in chapter 116, verse 7. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. We can have the promise of Revelation 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. This is the beginning of experiencing peace with God. It's knowing that our sins are forgiven. It's knowing that we are children of God. It's knowing that we've escaped the wrath that is to come. It's knowing that that we have eternal life, that we are accepted in the presence of God and that there is no condemnation. It's knowing that we're no longer in conflict with our heavenly father. It's it's knowing that we've been made whole and that that we've been fully and completely reconciled unto God, that, that there's nothing standing between us and our Savior. And it's here at this place of peace with God that our inner struggles begin to cease. It's at this place of peace with God that we're able to lay down our heads on our pillows and sleep soundly each night. It's here at this place of peace with God that we're able to function regardless of what adversity might come our way. And we arrive at the place of this peace by engaging in all of the previous Beatitudes, like I told you back in week one, these will build one upon the other. We see how this works. We are poor in spirit and we realize our need for a savior. We mourn because we're sorry for our sin. We are meek and in our humility, we realize that we are incapable of saving ourselves from that sin. So we hunger and thirst after righteousness and as a result, we are filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And we are merciful and we can extend mercy toward others because we have experienced the mercy of God that has been extended to us. And so then we choose to live pure in heart because we have been forgiven and cleansed of our sin. And the natural result of all of those things is that we are now able to have peace. Because we've made peace with God, we can now experience the peace of God. And the good news here this morning is that that peace is available to you today, like, like right now. You don't have to wait for a special invitation or for anyone to, to lead you in any special prayer or anything. It, it's, it's yours for the taking even as I speak. Right now, in this moment, in the quietness of your heart, you can simply surrender to just, uh, you can simply choose to surrender your life to Jesus Christ right now. There doesn't have to be any fanfare. 
In spite of the the turmoil that is taking place in your world today, you can receive peace by simply receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. And what happens is, and and the experience that that we're we're going to see is that, that our experience of God's peace, it doesn't start externally. It's not on the outside working its way in. When you come into right relationship with God the Father through through his son, Jesus Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean that all of your situations and circumstances are going to change. But what will change is the condition of our hearts. We discover that our attitude begins to shift. Our our mindset is transformed. One of the the pastors that I'm friends with, and um, he's actually part of uh, the the, uh, relational network that I'm a part of. He was a group leader of mine in the past. I heard him say one time, his name's Sean Jazik. I heard him say, the peace of God isn't something that you come into. It's something that comes into you. See, Jesus tells us that that when we choose to live this way, that, that we will be blessed. But the blessing for us, it comes on a different plane. And not only is it when we understand the recipe for peace, but, but we, we enter into that different plane of peace when we engage in the restoration of peace. So let's, let's for the next few moments, let's, let's look at kind of three different types of people. Perhaps you can identify with, with them. The first type of person is uh, what I would call the peace breaker. The peace breaker. I once read a story about um, a lonely and discouraged woman who was walking along the beach when she stumbled across a bottle that was protruding from the sand. She picked up the bottle and pulled the cork out of the top and, and then whoosh, a big blue genie appeared before her. You have released me from my prison, the genie said. To show my thanks, I shall grant you three wishes. But take great care... For each wish you make, your mate will receive double what you wish for. Why, asked the woman, that good-for-nothing bum left me for another woman. Jeannie shrugged and said, those are the rules. I don't know. So the woman thought for a moment before asking the genie for a million dollars. And then with a puff of smoke, a million dollars appeared at her feet. And at the same instant, in another place, her wayward husband was suddenly surrounded by stacks of cash, totaling to $2 million. And your second wish, the genie asked. The woman said, I want the world's most expensive diamond necklace. There was another puff of smoke, and around the woman's neck was the largest and most beautiful string of diamonds that she'd ever seen. And yet again, her husband looked down to discover two of the same necklaces around his neck. The woman asked the genie, is it really true that my husband now has $2 million and two diamond necklaces? And the genie confirmed that it was true. So the woman said, okay then, I think I'm ready for my third and final wish. The woman said, I want you to scare me half to death. (laughs) The rest of you will get that on the drive home. If you're not laughing right now, it'll hit you. You'll get out to 200. Oh, I get it now. See, revenge is something that you and I, we can all identify with. Revenge is simply getting back at someone for a wrong that they have committed against you. We learn this idea of revenge, uh, this type of behavior as a child. Um, Someone takes the toy we were playing with, and so we push them down and we take the toy back 
and vengeance is served. And, and we carry this kind of behavior over into our adult life. We get bad service at a restaurant, and so we write a scathing online review of the restaurant and the server, and vengeance is served. Or someone cuts us off in traffic, so we give them the, the one-finger salute, and we talk about their mother. And then later, we apologize and say, Pastor Blake, I didn't realize that was you that cut me <laughs> I know I need to work on my driving, but some of you need to work on your attitude. <laughs> but the truth is, revenge is, is never condoned in the Bible. And no matter how good it may feel at the time, and boy, does it feel good. Am I right? It's never going to lead to peace. See, peace breakers are those people who they go out of their way to destroy a relationship. They live to cause trouble and division. They're, they're deliberately combative. They have to push back and disagree with everything. Their motivation is self-serving and self-seeking. You probably know someone like this. And if you don't, be careful because it's probably you. See, here's what the Bible has to say about these kinds of people. Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, he says, and now I make one more appeal. My dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. And perhaps the most troubling part of people of this ilk is that, that a lot of peace breakers don't even realize they're doing it. They're, they're simply unaware of what they're doing, or they feel like their actions are justified and therefore okay. And perhaps the, the, the easiest or most common way that, that one becomes a peace breaker is through the use of the tongue. We revert to gossip or slander or being opinionated or complaining or criticizing or passing judgment. Peacebreakers use their words to tear down. They, they speak division and strife and friction into most every situation. And we find that whenever God begins to do something good, it's often the case that the enemy will attempt to interrupt it, and his oft-used weapon is the tongue of a peacebreaker. The church is growing and some will complain that they couldn't sit in their seat or that they had to park farther away from the entrance. That's a peace breaker. The children's ministry is growing and, and some will gripe about the extra messes and the added noise. That's a peace breaker. Peace breakers will, will gather together in their holy huddles and they'll armchair quarterback as they criticize the pastor and the church leadership for the decisions that are being made. Those are the kinds of people that are peace breakers. And it's, it's not, but let me be clear, it's not just going on outside the walls of the church. There are peace breakers in our pews and our seats all over the place. Listen to what James says about this type of behavior. Chapter 3, verses 6, 8, 9, and 10. He says, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. But no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. So we need to be on the lookout for peace breakers. The second kind of person that we often see are peace fakers. 
peace fakers. These are people who they desire peace over truth. They see peace as simply an absence of any kind of argument or discord. They will go to great lengths to avoid any type of conflict or unrest. And in doing so, they end up settling for a counterfeit peace that is based on avoidance of the real issues. Peace fakers know that there's a problem, but they won't say anything because they don't want to disturb the peace. Sarah and I once experienced this type of thing in our marriage. Our first and and perhaps our biggest argument to date came very early on in our marriage, and it was centered on the correct way to fold a washcloth. Now, many of you know that washcloths are square, and so I, having a master's degree, fold the washcloth in half and then in half again. But my wife, being the beautiful person that she is, she folds the washcloth in half and then in half again. And all the men in the room are going, that sounds like the same thing. And all the women in the room are going, nope, not even close. It's not the same thing at all. We get it. That's, that's, how, it, that's how it happens. There, there, was, there was a time in, in my home where the word washcloth was a dirty word, where we couldn't bring up the concept of folding laundry. It was, it was off limits, and all because we wanted to keep the peace, but the tension was still there under the surface. But now... To the glory of God, we have come to terms with this, and we've learned to compromise. And here we are, 18 years later, now every time a washcloth is folded, no matter which way it gets folded, in half and in half, or in half and in half, it's a reminder to us of how to work toward peace, and also a reminder to the devil that he's not going to win in our marriage. So I fold those washcloths in the name of Jesus! Eat it, devil. That's right. Sometimes I'll wash when I'm not even dirty just so I can do the laundry and fold more washcloths, just so I can stomp on his head. But see, peace fakers, they're they're those people who, who they see a good friend taking a direction with their life that's leading them straight into trouble. And and you know those situations where you just you just want to grab somebody and shake them? You know what I'm talking about? But every time you try and bring up the subject, it, it just causes an argument. And so because you just want to be at peace and not make waves with your friend, the, the peacemaker ends up just letting it go. And they, they don't say anything. They, they avoid the issue. They, they talk about things that are more agreeable and pleasant. They choose to behave as, as more of a peacekeeper in the relationship. As we speak, there are, there are factions and, and personnel all over the world that have been deployed in different regions as peacekeeping forces. Peacekeepers go in after a ceasefire has been established in order to maintain order and keep the conflict from arising once again. But peacekeepers, they're not resolving anything. See, when you Google the term peacekeeper, you'll largely find images of and references to soldiers and weaponry and various armed forces that are responsible for preventing conflict and war. In order for them to keep peace, they use weapons and force, and often is the case, the more, the better. 
Peacekeepers attempt to keep warring factions apart from each other. It's a very dangerous assignment. And history shows us that the majority of these types of peacekeeping missions often end in failure. By itself, peacekeeping doesn't offer any real solution. So instead, peacekeepers are often wounded in battle. When a peacekeeper comes under fire, it's an indicator that they failed their assignment, which was to avoid conflict and confrontation. And when they get fired upon, they return the fire. So either way, bullets are flying. This is a false peace. It's simply about maintaining the status quo. It's, it's nothing more than damage control or, or mitigating the conflict. But ultimately, it's the ignorant belief that peace exists when, in fact, there is none. We have peace breakers, we have peace fakers, and then third and finally, we have peace makers. And these are a very different breed of people. They're different from peace breakers because they know how to guard their tongue. They think before they speak. They aren't confrontational simply for the sake of confrontation. They don't feel the need to give their opinion about everything all of the time. So none of these people are on Facebook. It's clear. <laughs> They're able to walk away and avoid a conflict when the circumstance seems appropriate. Peacemakers are different from peace fakers because they're willing to tell the truth and then trust God with the outcome so that peace is worthwhile and lasting. That kind of peace can be experienced. They, they seek after real peace by seeking to resolve the, the issue, the, the core of the conflict. They don't go in after peace has been established but rather they take an active role and responsibility in the restoration of peace on the front end. When necessary, peacemakers will put the well-being of others above their own comfort. They don't avoid conflict at any cost. Rather, they will choose to engage in constructive conflict in order to bring about a deeper peace, one that brings glory to God and reveals the depths of his love for all people. Peacemakers are committed to speaking the truth in love. They recognize their need for God's help and salvation and redemption. They're harmonizers, reconcilers, bridge builders who choose to stand in the gap no matter what in order to usher in peace. They're called peacemakers because action is required. Peacemaking never happens by accident, but rather because we have made a purposeful and intentional choice. We've, we've taken a step. We've engaged in an action to bring forth peace. Peacemakers realize that real peace will never come about through appeasement. History shows us that, that when, per, when peace is pursued at any price, the peace is precisely what we don't get. Real peace will never be found by compromising the truth. And speaking the truth, the peacemaker realizes that, that speaking the truth isn't always received well by the hearer. Some kinds of people take a great deal of pride in becoming, uh, never becoming engaged in conflict or involved in a feud. Yet the truth is that, that these kinds of people simply lack the courage to take a stand for what is right. Those who choose to live this way, they're not peacemakers. They're actually enemies of peace because real peace is always the result of reconciliation. And when we look up this 
this, this word in, in its original language, when we look up the word peacemaker that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5, 9, we get the word, uh, this is a tough one. It's a Greek word, uh, Aaronapoios, I believe is how you say it, Aaronapoios. But what it means is to bind together that which has been broken. You remember a few years ago, Avery fell skateboarding in the neighborhood. She broke her wrist, and so we took her to the hospital. They put it in a cast. And after six weeks, we, the doctor showed us x-rays from the beginning and then x-rays for, for what it looked like after six weeks. And not only would it, was it healed, but additional bone had grown in around the fracture. See, it was, it was healed, but it was even stronger than it had been before on the front end. This is an example of the ministry of peacemaking. And if we find ourselves without peace today, that, that's an indicator that, that we're, we're not in right relationship with the source of peace. Six times in the New Testament, God is referred to specifically as the God of peace. We've talked about this a little bit already, that Jesus is the manifestation of peace, that, that he was given the title, the Prince of Peace. And we see the Holy Spirit as the agent of peace, that, that the Holy Spirit both supplies and applies the peace of God in our lives. And so what we see here is this pattern. The God of peace sent the Prince of Peace who gives the spirit of peace in order to produce the fruit of peace in our life. Paul said in Galatians 5.22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? So if we're not experiencing God's peace in our lives, that's an indicator that there's one or more areas that, that we have not surrendered to the power of his Holy Spirit to be at work within us. And so what we, ultimately what we see here is that the purpose of the ministry of Christ and, and by extension, the ministry of his body, the church, that's all of us. It's the ministry of reconciliation. It's to come in where things have been broken and fractured and to, to grab hold of both sides and bring them together so that the relationship can be even stronger on the back end than it was on the front end. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5. 18 through 20, he says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's our role on this earth as a peacemaker. See, peacemakers, they're not fault finders. And peacemakers aren't passive. Reconciliation. Not just keeping the conflict at bay. Oh, I hope it doesn't spill over. It's a resolution of the problems for the well-being and the benefit of everyone involved. Peacemaking is transformational. It results in an inside-out peace, a peace that surpasses our complete understanding. Peacemaking requires caring for the other person's well-being, regardless of the price. And this is the part that makes peacemaking so difficult. See, peacekeepers try to keep sides apart to avoid the conflict. But peacemakers bring sides together. Risking conflict, 
working through it, doing the hard, the difficult, the dirty work to arrive at a reconciliation committed to both sides. They want what is best for everyone involved. Peacemakers refuse to turn a blind eye to wrongdoing. They're committed to both truth and justice. Peacemakers realize that true peace cannot exist without both of those things. So as a result, peacemakers will often be crucified because of their efforts. Consider our model. Jesus' Jesus' primary reason for coming to this earth was to play the role of peacemaker, to build a bridge of reconciliation between God and man. See, the, the truth had to be upheld. We are all sinners, and that sin is punishable by death. And so justice had to be done. Someone had to pay the price for it. God couldn't turn a blind eye to sin. He couldn't simply sweep it under the rug. So Jesus had to come in and make peace. And the peace of Jesus Christ, is it's far more than just the absence of, of, of fighting and disagreement. It results in a fully restored relationship with God. And in the bringing of that level of peace, conflict is inevitable. And perhaps the most violent conflict that has ever been witnessed by humanity was Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. And he hung there to make peace on behalf of you and me so that we could be in right relationship with God. And the fact of the matter is this morning is that if you and I choose to live as peacemakers, which is what we've been called to do, There will no doubt be times where we're going to be misunderstood. There's going to be times where we'll be misrepresented. There will even be times when we will be maligned because of our efforts. Yeah, peacemaking is hard work. Peacekeepers are armed. Peacemakers are not. The only weapons a peacemaker has is grace and love and wisdom. And if they get fired on, which is likely to happen... They're pretty much defenseless. It's going to sting. And so the question is, why on earth would anyone want to become a peacemaker? If that's what it looks like, if, if that's what's wrapped up into it, like, wouldn't it be way easier to be a peace breaker or a peace faker? See, the recipe for peace points us to the restoration of peace, which brings about something beautiful. When we look at this, it's the reward of peace the reward of peace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. That tells us when when you're a peacemaker, you'll bear God's image. In other words, you'll look just like your father. We have a Christmas ornament that goes on our tree every year. And the front is a picture of me. On the back, it says 1988. I was seven years old. When Luke was a little kid, he would see that ornament on the tree and he would just stand there and stare at that picture. And then he would ask me and Sarah, was I alive in 1988? He couldn't figure it out because the picture looks just like him at age seven. It's because, much to his chagrin, he's my son and he looks just like his dad. So, Luke, this is what you have to look forward to. (laughs) Bask in the glory, my son. 
See, here in the South, when a child bears a strong resemblance to their parent, we, we say that they are the spitting image. Maybe you've heard that before. That means the child looks just like them. It's like saying that they're a chip off the old block, or we say, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Or perhaps you've heard the statement, like father, like son. I want you just for a moment to think about what that means for those of us who choose to live as peacemakers. We'll be called the sons of God. That means that that people, they're going to look at us and they're going to see the spitting image of Jesus. Like, I can't think of a greater compliment. I can't think of a greater banner, a greater mantle to carry around. That for when people look at me, they would somehow see Jesus. But this is the promise for all of us who choose to live as a maker of peace. And we do so by first making peace with our Heavenly Father. So as we bring this message to a close, I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest. You will find peace for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. In just a moment, the band's gonna come to lead us in worship to close out the service. And as they do, I wanna invite you to come forward and to receive prayer this morning. If you find yourself experiencing an inner conflict today, You need to know that there's peace available this morning for your troubled heart. If you're in the middle of a difficult situation with someone close to you, be it a spouse or a child, a parent, a friend, a coworker, whoever, you can receive God's peace this morning. As the band leads us in worship, these altars are open for you to come and to bring your anxiety, your heartache, your turmoil, your burden, to lay it down at the foot of the cross. Together, as I lay hands on you and pray with you, or as those that are a part of our prayer team, as they come and they lay hands and and pray for you, we're gonna believe together. We're gonna trust in Jesus together to bring reconciliation in your relationship with God. We're gonna trust in Jesus together to bring reconciliation to the relationship between you and the one with whom you're at odds right now. He's given us a promise of his peace. That peace is available here today. So I invite you to stand together. Let's get ready to sing. And this morning, if you're in need of God's peace in some area of your life, these altars are open. You're invited to come forward and receive prayer. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.